Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. So see, we are supposed to love ourselves, but we were never designed to worship ourselves. And so I, I want to speak to you today from the subject of breaking the bad habit of self. Of self. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, I just pray that you would breathe on this service. Lord, I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, and move in such a way, God, that would speak to each of our hearts individually. Lord, there's some times that I could be saying things, and you're speaking something totally different. Lord, just speak to us today. We, we need to hear you today, God. And I know that there are some here that are they're in a fight. There's multiple habits. There's multiple things. And, uh, Lord, I just ask that everybody today would get a glimpse of, of your face, the beauty of your face, Lord. Uh, Lord, that they would, they would get a glimpse of your heart for them. And that, Lord, we would not leave here the same. We love you so much. We need you in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Um, anybody ever uh, find yourself in a moment where you were waiting for a parking spot and somebody cut you off and took it? Like, that's getting a lot more prevalent these days. I, I remember last year I was um, at the Fallon Shopping Center. It's, it's right off uh, 580 over here. And I was pulling up to the Vitamin Shop. And, it, and that parking lot in there is, is a nightmare. There's tons of little restaurants and and it's always crowded, and so I found one. Somebody was getting ready to pull out, and so I, I was waiting patiently with my blinker on somebody. And, uh, and so I noticed that there was, uh, as, as this person started to, to pull out, that there was another car of two young girls. They were on the other side. Now, this could go either way, because if the car pulls out in their direction backwards, then I can pull in no problem. But if he pulls out in my direction, they have the access. And so I kind of was trying to make that eye contact, like, that's mine, like, that's mine. And so sure enough, he backed out my way, so I was blocked, I couldn't get in. And as soon as he backed out, whoop, they took it. And then, like, like okay, so you stole my spot. But, th- but then they got an attitude. Come on, like, like I'm looking at him like, why'd you do that? And, and they, they look at me like, Psh, and they get a major attitude. I think one of them even, you know, gave me the nice little love symbol. And I'm like, you guys are little kids. Like, you guys didn't get enough spankings when you were young. Right? And there was no apology. It was like, and I remember just sitting there, and I'm waiting again for a spot. And I was, I can't believe these little girls. What in the world? But truthfully, I mean, it really shouldn't surprise any of us when that happens. Right? Because we live in a culture that is all about consumption. We live in a culture that says things like this. It says things like, do you, get yours, live your best life, your best life. Forget about everybody else's best life, live your best life, right? And and so it it shouldn't surprise us that, you know, people do things like that because we live in a very consumeristic culture. And it's it's probably a little bit more subtle than you realize. It's kind of like the frog in the boiling pot. The water just keeps getting turned up hotter and hotter, and the frog doesn't recognize that the temperature is growing because he just kind of gets used to the whole aspect of the water until next thing you know, he's boiling. But, but it shouldn't really surprise us. I mean, when we look at how we consume, just in America, it's, it, it's, it's, it's amazing, and it's kind of heartbreaking, and it's kind of mind-blowing. Like, let me show you just a couple of things. There was enough K-cups thrown out in 2014 to encircle the earth 12 times. Man, Keurig, come on. They made a good decision, right? 
Nearly 40% of food in America goes to waste. That was heartbreaking. It's like, wow. In America, more money is spent on fashion and accessories and college tuition. Nearly half of the world's toys are in America. Homes in the U.S. contain more TVs than people. And America creates more electronic waste than any other nation on earth. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we can sit here all day and talk about the consumption of how much we go after in our culture today. Now, I'm not saying that consuming is bad. It's just there's a lot of consumption going on. I mean, we are all consumers to a certain degree. But like I said, we're meant to love ourselves, but we're just never designed to worship ourselves. And so, so my question kind of begs, man, if, if this is really supposed to work, get yours, live your best life. Uh, and we've all said things, that, you know, sometimes jokingly, I'm living my best life. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking like you're really going after it. Like it doesn't matter who's in the way. It's about you. It doesn't matter who gets hurt in the process. It's about you. But with all this consumption, my question is this. If that's the answer, then how come it's not working? Like, like, why are people more unhappy today in our culture than ever? Why is anxiety and depression on an all-time rise? Substance abuse, suicides. And I think, like, like we look in, and we see all the consumption, but we also recognize that, man, this is not, it's not working. Just getting yours and getting more, it's just, it doesn't work. I think the challenging thing for us, even as followers of Jesus, is that we live in a world where there's a ton of invitations. Like, let me show you a picture. You, you can't go outside of your house without being invited to something. You, you get in your car and you're on your way to wherever you're gonna go. And what happens? You get an invitation. You, you, you have something, you know, a bus that has a sign on it that's inviting you to partake in what they have to offer. Right, you walk down the aisles of the store and you're getting invitation after invitation after invitation of things saying, my product is the best. Get it, consume. And it's, it's a little bit overwhelming. I mean, you can't even go into a restroom these days without getting an invitation to some type of, you know, restaurant or whatever the case is because they know they're going to capture you for a moment. I mean, it's just, it, it just blows my mind. It doesn't matter where you're at. There's a ton of invitations that are calling and beckoning and begging for our attention every single day. And, and, and the trouble with, with all of this is this. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. The trouble is that in our attempt to consume, we get consumed. And that's where the problem takes place. Like a lot of times it starts out very innocent and it's a little bit here and it's a little bit there and it's a little bit here and it's a little bit there. And the next thing you know, I'm just overwhelmed and consumed with all of these different invitations. All of these different invites to partake of how they're going to make our life better, how, you know, they're going to solve a problem for us. And I think the hard part about this is when you really look at them, a lot of these things are lawful, meaning they're not even bad. Like, like, like when, when you really think about it, there's nothing wrong with food. There's nothing wrong with restaurants, and there's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with toys. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat. Like, there's nothing wrong with all of these things, but there's a lot. I mean, just imagine if you're on social media and you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat. There's your day. Like, you're consumed. There's no way that you can manage that. 
And, and, and I want you to get this picture because these things, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily bad things. And you heard me say this a thousand times. They may not be bad things, but many times they turn into God things. And then they become bad things because they become idols. And a lot of times what we don't realize is we're looking for all of these outside idols when in fact, if we're not careful, we can fail to see that ourselves have become an idol. To our comfort, to our pleasure, to our leisure, to our best life. And that's why Paul said it like this. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And this word mastered, it's really interesting. Um, it, it has this notion of giving authority to or having authority over. And what Paul is saying in this passage is, listen, there may be a lot of things that are permissible for me, a lot of things that are lawful for me, but they may not be profitable. And regardless of any of the fact, I'm not going to be mastered by anyone except by one, and that's Christ. I, I'm not going to be mastered by, it could be some great things, there's even some, some, some good habits, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything, especially sin. And so we have to be really careful in regards to the invites we're saying yes to. We have to be really strategic because they're calling us all the time. There's all these subliminal messages and little by little we just don't realize how we get sucked in to the mess. And in our attempts to simply consume, we find ourselves consumed. And then we find ourselves stressed and our time is crazy. We're, we're trying to commit to all of these different things. We're trying to do all these different things. And they may not be bad, but they were never meant to be God. And I think there are many things that if, if we're honest and we look at today, if we're not careful, we can give authority to things. We can be mastered by things that God never intended us to be mastered by. But it's hard to see. The wisest man on the face of the planet said it like this. Solomon in Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to a man. But in its end, it's the way of death. Anybody ever experienced that before? Like, this is so right. And then it's so wrong. I think there's a song. It's a song that, that is proclaiming this passage. And, and, and there's moments where we, we, we move and we think that, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. And you can fill in the blank. And then all of a sudden, it turns out to be a disaster. I remember I went to uh, Lake Berryessa. Anybody ever been to Lake Berryessa? And I uh, went during 4th of July. It was crazy. This was before I was saved. And I uh, went to Lake Berryessa 4th of July, and we all go up there. And you guys know, it's like party central on 4th of July. And, and all of my friends, a lot of them are dark-skinned, and so we get out to the lake, and nobody needs sunblock. So I'm like, nobody else is putting on sunblock. <laughs> right? Even though I don't run that race, trying to be like everybody, I don't need sunblock, I'm just going to get a good tan. My body doesn't have that gift. So I'm out on a jet ski all day with no sunblock. I mean, I looked great for like the first couple of hours, right? And next thing you know, started to feel a little bit burnt. And it was a hot day. Then I go back to the camp and I'm sitting down and my body's just man, this isn't good. And you know, at that time, man, we were doing a lot of things we weren't supposed to, so all that stuff wasn't helping. And I was just like, what is going on with my body? Long story short, I had to go to the hospital. The hospital. They had to wrap my arms in gauze with all this white paste all over. I had like second degree burns or something crazy like that. And I, and I had mild heat stroke. Like, it was not funny. It seemed okay. 
<laughs> but in the end, it leads to death. And, and it doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to lead to actual death, but it just means that sometimes there are things that we think are good, and they're, but they're not going to lead you toward life. Sometimes they'll lead you towards stuck. Sometimes they'll lead you in a way where you're actually digressing. So, so it doesn't necessarily mean that it, it ends in death. But when this happens, man, the world is just interesting. The world says, okay, this is the problem. You just need to get more. You just need to consume more. You just need to get a little bit more sun. Like I know you have heat stroke, but just go get a little bit more sun. That's what you need. Just, just consume a little bit more. Right, if it's not the dream you love, go get a new dream. Right, if, if that's not the spouse you like, man, go get a new one. Right, get a new friend. You know the average person below 35 keeps a, the same job for only about seven years now? So like Google and companies are working so hard to try to make their spaces so just inviting and creative and, you know, five-star restaurants, and they just want to lavish you because they know after all this training, the potential of somebody leaving, they get about a seven-year duration. And so we're just, we just live in a culture that it's, man, if I'm not happy, I move. If you're not happy, the world says, man, just up your personal game a little bit. Up your status, maybe financially. Up your, your, your personal brand. And if it's not working, just get something else. Just consume a little bit more. And, and it's interesting because this whole dynamic is actually affecting the way that we even see one another and how, how we look at each other. Kerry uh, Newhoff, he did some research uh, on this particular subject on how we view one another today in a, in a consumeristic culture. And this is what he found. Let me show you. He found that we used to look at people as community. Now we see them as consumers. Like we used to look out and say, man, you're a part of a community. Now we say, no, they're a potential opportunity. They're, they're, they're a potential opportunity to market, right? The, the second one is we used to see people, but now we see viewers, listeners, followers, and brands. Isn't that amazing? Now, nothing's wrong with any of these things, right? But we just never were supposed to be identified by these things. And, and it's really dangerous because it's even crept into the church, where at one point, let me show you, pastors used to see disciples, now they see crowds. Like they used to look out and say, man, we are making disciples. Now it's, man, how many people can I get in the seat? I used to see faces, now I see numbers. And can I just tell you, we are a church that unapologetically wants to grow. We live in the, the, the darkest region, quote unquote, in America, the most unchurched and the most de-churched. It would be selfish of us just to consume and not grow. So don't hear me wrong. We unapologetically have to grow. Like our mission here is to move people closer to God and closer to others. And as we're in a valley uh, that's 95% unchurched, that is just unacceptable for us not to reach people. It's selfish and it's, it's self-consuming not to do that. However, when we look out, though, as we look at one another, we have to see, no, like, man, this, you're a child of God. You're not a crowd. Like when we look out as, as leaders, I, we got to make sure that we're looking out and we're seeing disciples. We're seeing, man, how can I add value? How can, how can I invest in you? How can I encourage you? We got to see disciples, not crowds. This stuff is heartbreaking. And it's so easy and it's so subtle. I remember when we first came here, the Lord told me three things. We had such a fast transition. He said, number one, he said, don't be desperate for people in an unhealthy way. God said, let me build the house meaning you can't hold people. You gotta do ministry with hands open. 
As much as we would love everybody to stay, like the Lord said, man, it's just not a reality. And what you're going to probably do is compromise the gospel or my word if you're just trying to get people to stay. So let me build the house. The second thing he told me was don't look at people as dollar signs. Because when we first came, I mean, it was a little bit, little bit scary. You know, we had a big mortgage here, and, and, and some of my well-meaning friends were like, hey, man, you just get a couple of families, and, you know, that'll take care of the PG&E, and this will take care of the, and, and I just felt like the Lord say, squash all that. You shepherd my people. You see them as my people, and you let me provide. And, and we lived by that ever since. Uh, Craig Rochelle, he's pastors the, the largest church in the nation. I, I heard him say recently, he said, listen, and, and coming from him, this carries a lot of weight. He said, apart from Christ, no church is satisfying or big enough. Like, it like, doesn't matter how big your church gets. It doesn't matter how big your pro portfolio gets. It doesn't matter how big these things get. Apart from Christ, it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. But see, if we're going to see one another through, the, through, through, through this lens of community of people and disciples, then we first have to see ourselves that way. The only problem is, is if we're going to see ourselves that way, we have to properly define what that means. And look how Jesus defines disciple. He says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Let me say that again. Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Let me say it one more time. Uh, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it? For someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self, Mark says, your soul. So it's like in this attempt to save ourselves through consumption, we actually lose. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you know this. It's like, that's a great passage. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> like you, you got it on your fridge. Shoulder myself, deny myself, and shoulder my cross daily and follow me. The problem is this, is to deny yourself contradicts everything inside of you sometimes. And we don't like to have that feeling of contradiction inside of us. Because in all of us, there, there, there's still that, that flesh portion of us. There's still that sinful nature that wants to creep its head up and say, no, get yours. Do you. Live your best life. But can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, number one, if you read the scriptures and it's not contradicting, you need to read them again. And if God can't contradict you, then he is not God. And there's going to be things that God says like, deny yourself, shoulder your cross, and follow me. And we just don't like to be contradicted like that. Like, I love the, I love the poetic aspect of that. Shoulder your cross, deny yourself, follow me, you'll find life. But to actually live that, it, it doesn't feel good all the time. And I think we have a hard problem with this because in our culture today, unlike many cultures, almost every culture across the world, we don't have a good theology of suffering. We are marketed every day to, re, to, to basically um, to relieve our suffering, right? Like we're marketed to every single day with promises of how if you use this, or if you do this, or if you try this, or if you think like this, or if you do, then you won't have to suffer. And it's, it's crazy because the self-help book just, you know, the section just continues to grow. And I, I'm not hating on any of that stuff. I think there, there's some good, you know, a lot of times biblical principles that are taken out of, you know, uh, that are used as self-help or whatever the case is. But I'm just saying that the section just keeps growing because a lot of it just doesn't, 
it doesn't work if, if, if the source isn't there. And it's moving us towards self. And listen, there's nothing wrong with improving, you know, certain aspects of yourself. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about worshiping yourself. I'm talking about having an honest conversation that says, man, how much is this passage a reality in my life? This passage is a great gauge to say, man, man, am I really following Jesus? Am I really living a life as a disciple? You know, we, we just, we just, but it, it's tough because we don't like to suffer. And when passages like this contradict us, it's, oh, I just don't want to suffer. I want to be comfortable. I want things to go well. I want things to go easy. But man, if there was easy, we would never heard of Noah. Who, who in, a, in a time, God asked Noah to do something that contradicted everything in the culture. And Noah was building this boat for 75 plus years in mockery and ridicule, building a boat in the desert because God said it was going to flood and there had never been any rain. You talk about some suffering. But I'm telling you, man, Noah was sure glad he built that boat when it started to rain. But without the flood, there'd be no Noah. Without a Goliath, we would not know of David. Like, like, like there's, there's certain aspects where God, you know, calls David to risk his life, to deny himself. And in this moment of contradiction of this little boy facing this giant, God does something supernatural that didn't make sense to anybody that was watching. Right? Without a prison, there would be no Joseph. I mean, God gave Joseph a dream, but, but Joseph, Joseph's life for the beginning portion contradicted everything that it seemed like God had said. And Joseph is in this prison for being wrongly accused for about 15 years, wondering like, man, what is going on? But God was shaping, God was forming, God was doing something in the midst of that, of him denying himself and trusting and relying on the promises of God. Like, we, we love salvation. We just don't like the cross. Like, right, like, give me salvation, just don't give me the cross. Because it means that I have to deny myself, shoulder it. I might have to go through some stuff. If I'm going to follow Jesus, it's not, uh, you know, promise this, this rose garden. And the kingdom of God just operates completely opposite of this world. You know, there's a reversal of values in the kingdom. It's an upside down set of values. The world says, listen, unless you have something of value, you can't get in. The kingdom of God says, until you realize you have nothing to offer, you are spiritually bankrupt, and you desperately need a savior, it's only then that you get the power of God and life transformation. It's completely countercultural. It, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, but a lot of times, listen, we don't like to suffer. We don't like to deny ourselves. We don't want, nobody likes to suffer. I don't like to suffer. But, but there is this aspect when God is calling us to deny ourselves that there's always going to be a level of suffering. Forgiveness requires somebody to suffer. Somebody has to suffer in the transaction of forgiveness. It just, it, it's part of the equation. But a lot of times we don't deny ourselves because we don't trust God and we're so afraid to lose ourselves. Because if we lose ourselves, what if we lose ourselves? But Jesus said, no, you're going to gain it. I'm so afraid to lose my life, but Jesus said, trust me, you're going to gain it. You're going to gain it. And I'm so grateful that, you know, the Lord really led the way. I, I, I don't think, I can't think of any more beautiful picture of one emptying their life than the reality of Jesus. 
I mean, look what the prophet Isaiah says. It says that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Like, he could have came and looked like anything. But he chose to empty himself of that. Yet, yet everybody was so attracted to him. Or they were a little bit repelled by him, depending if you were a religious leader or not. But those who were broken were just so attracted to him. Why? You guys remember this passage from a couple of weeks ago? It says, therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He stood in the gap. He stood in the gap, stepping out of heaven into, into bodily form. And, and this word poured, you remember, it means the word vulnerable. I mean, imagine this reality we're approaching the Christmas season is that, that God in all of his infiniteness, if that's even a word, became a baby. A baby. I mean, think of the vulnerability of a child. That he, he would step into sin and darkness and then bear the weight of it all. The punishment of the world upon himself. How vulnerable is that? How exposed, how selfless is that? Right? And, and, and then it says this, and Paul says in Philippians about him, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I mean, think about that. He emptied himself. Paul says it clearly that even though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He relinquished his rights. And you and I live in a world where we just try to grab a hold of what rightfully is ours. If God did that, we would not be in this room right now. But there were moments, there was a time where he, even though he was fully God, he did not consider something with God. He did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. It's weird because when we hear this, I, I don't know about you, but when I hear this, it's heart-wrenching. It's, it's hard to believe that God would do this in all of his infinite wisdom and glory and beauty that he would do this for you and I. It, it makes me cringe when I hear that he came that 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 he, he became a servant. Why right? he was considered among you know those who were sinning even though he had done no wrong he was treated as, as if he did and he bore the sin of the world. I, I think about the, the sacrificial sense of, of, of what these passages are communicating, but I think if we're honest, there's also something very attractive about this. There's something about this that causes us to lean in, and there's something about this that causes us, it kind of stirs us from the inside. Because if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, that the best stories are not found in consumption, but sacrifice. It's just the truth. I, I mean, let me show you a picture of probably the most expensive car on the planet. This is an $8 million car. Jay-Z owns it. Eight million dollars. I don't even know how many. It's a Maybach. It's a Mercedes Maybach. Many of you, most of you have never seen it. It's probably the most expensive car in the planet. And sometimes we can look and, and we can kind of dream a little bit. Like, it's a little bit inspiring. Like, let me show you another picture. Like, we can imagine ourselves. Come on. Nothing wrong with a little dreaming, right? can imagine ourselves on the grill. Jay-Z, look out, buddy. I'm coming for you. Now, even though this is, this, is, this is amazing, and we would walk around, and we'd be like, oh, oh wow. Oh, this is incredible. Eight million. No, right? 
It's awesome, but it doesn't move us to the core. But then we watch something like this. We watch something like, like Braveheart or Gladiator, right? And we see William Wallace putting everything on the line that others might be saved, sacrificing himself, right, for freedom, right? And every guy in here is like, yeah. Like something comes alive in us when we see these things, right? Like Russell Crowe putting it all on the line for justice. Marcus Aurelius, right? Whatever it takes. I'll fight lions. Let's go. Right, there's something about that, that that just draws us. And I don't even think that we realize this. I don't even think that filmmakers realize that they've made billions of dollars off the gospel. Because every great story has a trace of the gospel, the impotence of the human will, the sin reality of our life, this, this, this idea of sacrificing and people being redeemed at the cost of somebody else. Every great storyline has this. And, and they're able to do this. Why? And we watch these movies all over and over. It doesn't matter if it's Braveheart. It doesn't matter if it's Gladiator. There's going to be another one that comes out next week. And they all have the same story. And they can capitalize on this because Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that God has put eternity in the hearts of every man and woman. And there's something desperately attractive to this reality of redemption. There's, there's something incredibly attractive to us as we look at the, these narratives, these stories, because it screams of what we really long for is the gospel. And so we just go every single time like, so good. You see that movie? Just like the last one. But it was so good. The same plot. Right, right. We, we, see, we see feet like these. Mother Teresa. We see this woman serving in the slums of Calcutta. And as new shoes would come in, as donations were coming in, she would give all the ones that fit away, and she would take the smaller ones for herself. And there's something about the, these stories of sacrifice that move us in a way that that automobile just can't. That move us in a way that there's something bigger than ourselves that we long to be a part of. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. This is the truth, that a life of self-sacrifice is always more rewarding than a life of self-consumption. It's just the truth. We have a lot of invites into the world, ladies and gentlemen. But I, I want to invite you to look at an invite that Jesus gives us. If you're taking notes, you can jot this one down. Is that Jesus invites us to live generously over selfishly. It's an, it's an invite. A lot of times we think about denying ourselves. It's just, we think about it just in like one kind of lens. We're like, all right, it's going to follow Jesus. It's going to be hard. But, but no, like God has called us to give our lives away. Because to, to, to follow him means to give your life away. It means to serve. It means to be generous. It means to, to give our lives away. And so, so I, I wanted to give you three thoughts to, to consider when thinking about the invite that Jesus calls us to. Because it's challenging because we, many times we want to consume. We don't want to be generous or we want to be kind of generous but not really generous. And, and God is calling us to give our life away. God is calling us to, to deny ourselves, shoulder our cross, and follow him. So let me give you three things to consider. The first one is this. If we're taking notes, jot this down. Refuse to rationalize this reality. Refuse to rationalize your generosity. Refuse to rationalize this invitation. You know, you say things like, well, it's just the way I am, just kind of greedy and prideful. It's my family. It's just who I am. Or this is how we rationalize, right? Um, hey, hey, I, I, I get it. 
this whole denying yourself. But let's be realistic. I mean, that's a little extreme, don't you think? And we, we talk to ourselves like this. And the enemy whispers in our ear and says, come on, that's a little bit extreme. I mean, you go to church and stuff, but, but you're not going to give your life away. I mean, that's a little over the top, but the reality is, is, listen, Jesus will call you to give your life away on unrealistic terms in such a way and in such situations that you desperately need him because it's so much bigger than you, so much bigger than you and me. I remember, like, like it wasn't realistic when Jesus, and I can tell you this because it's like four years ago, so I'm not bragging, but... It's like four years ago, so it's, it's already like said and done. So I don't, normally don't tell my right hand what my left hand is doing, but you need to hear this. Is that it wasn't realistic when God said, give your car away. Pay the last two payments and give it away. Like that wasn't, you know, Jackie and I looking at each other like, uh, is this realistic? And we were only like a year in here. And it was like, I don't know if this is realistic. And God said, give it away. And then guess what? It wasn't like we gave it away and like, the, you know, the windows of heaven opened up and all this money poured out. No, we struggled for like six months after that. But God always met our needs. God always provided for us. God always came through for us. Because it's not about being generous to, to get something. But it's bigger. It's not realistic when people have hurt me. After I've, you know, poured out my life for them or I've, you know, you know, poured out my life for them. After I've just, you know, have served them and loved them and, you know, and people have hurt me and God says, yes, still serve them. Judas still gets a foot washing. Still serve them. That's not realistic. It's, it's, it's bigger than you and I. I remember I was at Trader Joe's. It was about a year in as well. A lot happened in that first year here. I was at Trader Joe's. There was a homeless guy. And I just, I, I, the Lord said, give him your shoes. And I'm like. So I look in the back, see if I have any shoes back there. And, and sure enough, I had a brand new pair of shoes in my trunk uh, for like working out or running or whatever. And, and the Lord said, give those away. I was like, and normally I would say, absolutely. But we were like in a tough spot. I'm like, I just can't go out and buy these shoes again. And so what did I do? I wrestled with God, rationalized for about 10 minutes. Finally, I was like, fine. And so I go, I give it to the guy. The guy doesn't even want my shoes. He's like, I don't want your shoes. And I sat back in my car, and the Lord told me, never lose a heart of generosity. Always keep a heart of generosity. We overcome evil with good. And in a world of consumption, we have to overwhelm it with generosity. But can I just tell you, that, that is, that's my highlight reel. That's my Instagram story. But can I tell you how many times I've rationalized myself out of denying myself, of saying no to Jesus, that I might say yes to me. And can I just tell you that all those times, they never were even remotely fulfilling as the times where I said yes to the invitation. Number two is this, if you take a note, shot this down, don't let pain stop you. Pain is like the ultimate consumer. Like as soon as we're starting to feel pain, forget everybody, it's me. Right, and you, and you know that it's true. You're like we, we feel that, when, when it's, we don't feel like serving people when we're sick, Right? It's like, Jackie, can't get out of bed. We get grumpy. Right? Like, it's, nobody likes to, to do that. We're pain. Now, if you have chronic illness, that, that's a whole different story. I'm not talking about that. That's a whole different story. And, and if you need help and serving, I'm not making any blanket statements here. I, I understand that pain. I'm, make, I'm not making light of it. 
But, but what I am saying is a lot of times when we start to feel pain, we start to get focused on self. I need, just give it to me. Just, it's me. And then God's saying, I want you to still deny yourself. You're like, deny myself? Look at everything that's happening to me. You deny yourself. That's what we really say. And Jesus is like, I did deny myself so you can deny yourself so you can have life. But, but it's so true. Listen, you will not do well with generosity and pain unless you get a reality of the resurrection. Peter, Peter it was an incredible guy. He had a revelation of the cross. But after his revelation of the cross, he went back fishing because he thought it was over. Kind of went back to his old life. And then Jesus appeared to them in the Gospel of John on the shore as they were fishing and still had caught nothing. And all of a sudden, when Peter gets this revelation that you're alive, Jesus says, yes. And I'm asking you to deny yourself and follow me. And Peter, if you do, they're going to kill you, bro. Will you follow me? And Peter said, yeah. When you get a revelation of the, the reality of the resurrection, it will give you a whole fresh new perspective of the cross. I, I mean, Jesus was, you know, Peter was like, oh, my goodness, you really are God. You really died on that cross. You're God. You're And then here Peter is, all, you know, people are getting executed like crazy for the gospel, and he finds himself asleep, awaiting his execution, so he thought in a prison, such a deep rest in the midst of pain, because he had a revelation of the resurrection. So much so, the angel had to wake him up, like, Pete, wake up, dude. Like, such a sound sleep, like you're in prison about waiting your execution, but wake up, like, there's so much peace, there's so much... He says, man, I'm, I'm getting you out of here. And Peter's like, oh, okay, cool. What do you do? Go right back out and start serving people. And so can I just tell you, listen, don't let pain stop you. And the last one is this. last one is this. Be strategic. Be strategic. You know, the scripture tells us that we're not to give out of compulsion. But every man or woman should decide in his or her heart what they will give. A lot of times we use this passage just for finances. But I'd love to take it a step further whether it's your time, whether it's your talents, whether it's your treasure, right? Like, don't, don't just give generously. Just don't give yourself away just on kind of whims and spontaneity. Be strategic. Invite the Lord. Ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to give my life away today? Like, like what does this morning look like to you, God? I know to me it looks like a normal routine, but will you highlight moments where I can give myself away? where I could deny myself and shoulder my cross. I, I mean, imagine this. Imagine if you were so strategic, rather than walking into a room and asking, what can I get? What's going to be in it for me? Is the coffee going to be hot? What if you walked into every room and said, man, how can I add value? I'm about to step into this room. How can I add value? How can I encourage? How can I serve? You say, but it's just so hard to do that. Because people... People are mean and it's messy. You know, it's so funny that when you get hurt, you get betrayed. It's not working out. I remember I read a book called Absolute Humility by an author by the name of Andrew Murray. And it's probably one of my favorite books. And I'll never forget one line in, in there. He said, every disappointment is an opportunity for humility to have its perfect work in you. 
But a lot of times we go through life and we're, we're getting all these shots, we're taking all these hits, we're, and it kind of rings our pride, it kind of rings our, you know, our, 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 our pain, it kind of messes with us a little bit. And because we're not really strategic, we don't have a plan when that happens, it's easy to become very selfish again. It's easy to become, you know, to just kind of keep people at a distance. So I remember when I, I read this passage of scripture that Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, shoulder our cross. That anybody who desires to save his life will lose it. But anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. What profits a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his very soul? I used to think it was a self-discovery passage. I used to think it was a passage where, okay, if I just deny myself, it was still about me. I would think about that passage about me. It could be like a part of hedonism. I think, you know, as we understand that as we move closer to God and closer to others, that's God's best life for us. That, that really is like, you know, there is a little bit of that in there. Whereas we follow Jesus, yeah, that is going to be your best life. So there, there is a little bit of that reality that it is going to impact your life in a very incredible and a great way. But I used to think it was about self-discovery until I realized this, is that when you deny yourself and shoulder your cross and follow him, you realize not only is Jesus everything you've always needed, but you realize that he's everything you've always wanted. And that reality changes everything. And so my question to you is this, is will you accept the invitation? Will you say yes to giving yourself away, to live generously over selfishly? It's gonna feel like you're losing, but Jesus said in that place, there will be a mystery in that contradiction where you'll actually win.